Hello, 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 and welcome back to Gateway to Anime. How are we all? What's going on? Now, today we have, by popular demand, a return guest, and that is Mr. Gerald Lillywhite. How are you, mate? Oh, hello, Sam. Thanks for having me back. Of course. Well, after Neon Genesis, you know, we had such a positive response. We had to get you back in, of course, and here we are. Thank you for having me. <laughs> welcome back. Yes, I'm also here. Thanks. Charlotte's here as well, Thanks but you know, what, whatever. Intro. Yeah, yeah. We're used, to, we're used to that. Get that cat out of the way. Okay. All right. Unfortunately, Brett is not with us today, but that seems to be the theme of season two. And that's okay. That's okay because we have such distinguished guests as Gerald in his place who actually know about anime. So that's always a good thing. Do we need like a Brett retrieval arc? <laughs> That actually, that, that's that's season three. It's yeah. the Brett Retrieval arc. <laughs> he and I shall battle in the valley of the end. <laughs> the midpoint turn is the question of Brett whether he ever truly existed. <laughs> <laughs> Was he an idea all along? <laughs> <laughs> a device, perhaps? Right. So today we're gonna talk about a show that you actually mentioned quite quite a lot in the last episode that you were on, Gerald, and it's from the same time period. And it is what many would consider to be the ultimate gateway. And it's, it's strange it's taken us so long to, to come to this show, but we are talking today about Cowboy Bebop. Now, Gerald, you mentioned this last time, but why don't you just tell us again, how did you come across Bebop? Sure. Look, I want to throw this right out in front that Cowboy Bebop is not only my favorite anime, it's in my top three favorite things of all time. Oh, I like of it. All time. Nice. And to, yeah, quickly rehash that story, 19, video store. What's this colorful, you know, uh, section over on the furthest wall? What is anime? And picking up a, a case and looking at this strange space western sci-fi something with some like great art design. Like, okay, I'll give this a go. Mm -hmm. And proceeded to that day, go home, watch the first disc, finish the first disc, get back in my car, go back to the video store, <laughs> get all five other volumes, go home, close the door to my room, watch it all. Wow. And then watch it all again the next day. Oh, damn. And I think I've watched it 20 plus times Whoa. since then. So I'm coming in very hot. About okay. Cowboy Bebop. I can't wait. Excellent. Excellent. Now, Charlotte and I have an interesting history with Cowboy Bebop, and I know Charlotte's going to ambush me on this. So let's just get this out of the fucking way straight away. Charlotte, you were into Cowboy Bebop first. Yeah, because I have taste. Oh, right. All right so yeah. okay. I was into Cowboy Bebop. Similar thing to Gerald. Definitely got it from Blockbuster Nedlands. I don't know if it was Nedlands for you, but it was for me. Anyway, I definitely had the same experience as Gerald. And also, like, at the time, it is the number one, like, most recommended kind of anime show to watch for anyone. And it yeah. is the gateway. Like, I think that Neon Genesis, which we said last time was the gateway, which we we, we say this often, I think. <laughs> but this is the real one, guys. I yeah, swear. this is the legit like, one. But seriously, I think it'll appeal to a lot of different people. But I was watching it and Sam, I don't know if you've like noticed from maybe just listening to this podcast, just has these like very um, strong views. Like sometimes <laughs> he's just like, you know, like it's this or that. There's no, it's like everything's black and white. There was like no gray area. Of and particularly when he was like a teenager, it was 10 times worse. Yeah, all right. So I remember being like, you should watch this show, Cowboy Bebop. And Sam at the time was like, there is no other show other than Naruto. Like you could not get through. I'd be like, hey, you should watch this show. He's just like, it's shit. Like, nah, like 
then like, watch the movie and you'd be like, oh, I guess it's okay. You really didn't like Cowboy Bebop. I tried like three times. Okay, 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 okay. So, first of all, revisionist history is in, in play here. Absolutely but, not. <laughs> but in my defense, okay, it took me a while to get into Cowboy Bebop. In fairness, that part is fact. The rest is semi-fake news. However, <laughs> what I will say is the big problem was is that I watched the movie first. Remember? Right. I watched the movie first and I was yeah, like, what no, the right. fuck is going on? Who are these people? I don't care. And unfortunately, because of my fundamental flaws as a person, I <laughs> dug my heels Those in. Are you refused. <laughs> I refused to act. I was like, I hate this. Fuck this. And it was also like a shot. I was like, no, it's the best thing ever. And I was like, well, it's not. Now it's not, I guess. Uh, I think, so, and that was the hill I chose to die upon for quite a few years. And the opening sequence of the film is really good. And I think that's what you first saw. That's yes, that thing yes. of the, when he's listening to his headphones in the grocery store and it's like yes. very cool. It's like plastic Spike Spiegel, which we're getting to later. But I think that, yeah, I think you're right. You started on a bad thing. But obviously the film versions of anime TV series are worse. Like that is a thing. You would never watch Naruto, the film, or oh. Pokemon 2000. No, that was, heavens no. And it was a like, very fraught, <laughs> fraught approach. <laughs> it was a fraught time. But in your defense, we all have something like that. Yes. I What's remember, yours, Gerald? Uh, mine was Breaking Bad. For the first three mm. seasons of Breaking Bad, people were like, you have to watch this. It's the greatest thing ever. And I said, shut up. Don't tell me boats. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it got my face. <laughs> also in the top three. Oh, yeah, as it should be. As it should be. Oh, there's so many. The more people who tell you to like something, the more I put it off as well, which is, you of know, course. Kind of like, you're going to love it. And then I watch it two years later and be like, Correct. I love that. Like, so. I owe a few apology text messages. <laughs> Actually, I had a semi one recently with you, Sam, in Attack on Titan. Oh, how much? You, you, yeah. You've been telling me for a long time to watch that, and I put it off and then uh, burned through it in a week. And I, <laughs> and I owed you a very sheepish text message. It's quite all right. It's quite all right. We all have them. We I all did it have with Fleabag. Yeah, a lot of people yeah. do. Yeah. I got annoyed because people kept on being like, you remind me of Fleabag. And I was like, that's, bad. that's really offensive. <laughs> but like, then I watched it. I was like, oh, no, it's a good show though. Hey. Oh, it's incredibly good. Anyway. But look, I did come to Bebop late. Uh, and when I did come to it, my God, my God, it's incredible. It really is as good as Gerald says it is. And it's interesting. So why don't and we- And me as a teenager. And so Charlotte, owe me an look, I, Charlotte, I'm, you know, it's very rare that I'm going to admit that I'm wrong to you. Oh, my God. Thank God this is being recorded and literally released. God damn it. I'm going to cut this out. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I'll edit, edit around this bit. But, no, I, uh, I do owe you an apology. I was wrong. As a teenage Sam, weirdly, was wrong about a hot take that he had. John Locke from Lost. <laughs> I'm standing by that standing one. By that that okay. one I'm standing by. Okay? John Locke could do no wrong, no matter you, how many turns his character took. Sam just like I back it. I'm backing it. I'm back. <laughs> Charlie, it. don't you know Led Zeppelin is the best band of all time? <laughs> <laughs> Again, backing that in, backing that in. Now, why don't we start before we lose all the, all the people who aren't aware of what Cowboy Bebop is? Gerald, why don't you just give us a little synopsis of what Cowboy Bebop is and get a little bit of brief history, and I'll jump in to help you. Sure. Cowboy Bebop. It is a series set in 2071 and follows the lives of a bounty hunter crew traveling in their spaceship called the Bebop. There are four key characters on the Bebop. Spike, who the show follows. He has a mysterious past in a syndicate that he's running away from. And he's a crack bounty hunter that's partnered with a guy called Jet. Jet is an ex-cop who has run away from that life after being 
disillusioned with the nature of justice in this cold, cold universe. And he has a robotic arm. Faye is a femme fatale-like character who's so much more, again, running away from her past. She's a bit amnesiac. Finally, Ed, who's a non-gender binary hacker, 10-year-old general weirdo. And together, this proxy family travel episode to episode, bounty to bounty, trying to get enough money to keep fueling the ship, to get their next meal through a, a wonderful brought-to-life universe that uh, isn't so far from the world we live in today. Yeah, yeah, it's and the creator of this is a man named Shinchiro Watanabe, and he is now quite famous. And this was actually his first solo direction gig, which is pretty crazy. Like you talk about what we did last time with Neon Genesis, and that's really the culmination of a man who had gone through many iterations and then came to his piece de resistance a bit later in his life, which is what is most common with written shows right you know it's very rare it's music is quite orthogonal in respect to the fact that a lot of the time the first album is the best because they capture something raw and interesting and sometimes it takes them 10 years to write the first album and you got to write the second album in one year Mm -hmm. often why they suck however most first shows that someone directs or writes aren't that great you know because it takes time to develop the craft now it's a bit disingenuous to say that watanabe is the first thing he ever did no he did co-direct that's right. Macross Plus and also one of the Gurren Lagans, and he had been working in the industry for a long time. But this was his first solo run at a show, and holy fuck did he knock it out of the park. It's yeah. insane. Yeah. He did good. Yeah, he, <laughs> he did. did. Good. He did very good. And like, interestingly, Cowboy Bebop as a premise was created internally at a company called Sunrise, yes. quite a famous anime studio. And was initially commissioned when Bandai, the partner of Sunrise Studios, mm-hmm. approached looking for merchandising opportunities. Yes. And so they wanted spaceship stuff to yeah. sell spaceship toys. And so Watanabe went away and he's like, how about this existentialist, ennui-driven <laughs> space opera, Western genre mashup? And they said, well, what do we do with this? And so it got put down for a long time it until... Did. Another department of Bandai, Bandai Visual, came and the show finally got some legs. Yeah, and he actually said, well, if Bandai Visual didn't come to save the day, there's a very good chance I'd still be working as a grocery clerk at the supermarkets. <laughs> That's <So> right. <laughs> he's uh, very thankful for that production opportunity. It's funny how many stories there are out there of people who probably are working at grocery stores and pulling pints who might have had that opportunity and had it torn from their hands. You Sliding know? doors, Gwyneth Paltrow. Yes. <laughs> exactly yeah. right. That's what I like to think my life is like. <laughs> I'm like, well, God, that really acting career really took off with the other, but I didn't get the <laughs> So Watanabe essentially finds himself directing, his first directing gig by himself on a show that started off as something to sell toys in a studio where this project could have gotten lost in the development slate. And I think, you know, going to the fact that it was his first time, what's really amazing is just the intent that he had from day dot to be like, no, but this is going to be something that transcends time. And yes. you can imagine trying to get this cohort of animators and developers at this company up for the game, trying to convince them that, that it's, it's going to be special. And, you know, he, he's given interviews where he feels vindicated that he was able to follow through on that. I've watched it now three times all the way through in my in my life since my early mistake. And... I've been re-watching recently in preparation for this, and fuck me, it holds up so well. It really, really does. It's incredible how well it holds up. Yeah. It's as prescient and present 
today as it was in 1998 when it came out. You know, it's it's fucking crazy how good it is, really. I think a lot of that has to do with the, obviously, and we'll talk about a major part of Cowboy Bebop, which is the jazz music and that. Kind oh, yeah. Of, we've got to talk about Yoko Kato. Yes, we yeah. do. Where yeah. to start? Because there's so many different <laughs> angles to come in at this show. Where should we start, Charlie? What's your favourite part? My favourite part of the show? Or of the, yeah. <laughs> ah. Ooh, uh, probably the music, to be honest. So we can go okay. there. I, I think also just in just as a quick kind of thing before we go into the music side of it, I think that the fact that it does feel timeless is because of the fact that it is a mashup. It also has kind of that nostalgic value of a throwback to a jazz era that was, you know, way back when. So it's yes. like a 19, what is like bebop jazz is like what kind of? 40s. Yeah, like 40s style jazz and then also a futuristic saying. So it's like it's there's no place where it actually exists. So it's not like a time capsule. It's like a mashup of the old and the new so that's why it has that and we did talk we will talk about how the other series samurai champloo unfortunately is a bit too specifically stuck in an early 2000s hip-hop style music and i think it's because it was modern when it came out that it kind of feels a little bit dated now and it hasn't quite had the same you know effect of being as timeless as bebop is anyway music yoko kano let's talk about the seatbelts. let's talk about how yes. good that is i think yes. honestly is to me the best part of the show Totally, because one of the things that's always said about Bebop Headline is style. It's yes. stylish. Yeah. That the aesthetic experience from top to bottom just strikes you as being cool. And as you say, top of that list is the music. Absolutely, absolutely. It's something about Watanabe, all of Watanabe's work, and Charlotte just mentioned one of his other shows, Samurai Champloo. He tends to make shows to a musical style, which is sort of his oeuvre, I suppose. And he's he's done Samurai Champloo, shall I mention, which was based on hip hop, Cowboy Bebop, obviously Bebop Jazz. Then he did Space Dandy later on, well, quite recently actually, a few years ago, and that I was watch it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's okay. pretty cool. It's pretty cool. It's, it's, it's more new wave kind of post rock sort of stuff. Then he did Terror in Resonance, also really cool, which is all post rock kind of ambient Sigur Ross style influence. And then his latest work is called Carolyn Tuesday, which is on Netflix right now, and it's a bit. It's a bit on the nose. It's basically about two musicians, two female musicians finding each other and exploring their relationship through music. It's a bit on the nose, but it's still cool. There's some cool moments. But again, so music is the thing that really signifies Watanabe's work, you know, and none more so in my opinion than in Bebop because he has actually been quoted as saying that he believes that music is the language of the world and he's right at math and music and they're intrinsically entwined Anyway, as Charlotte just mentioned, Yoko Kano, the composer, who is absolutely extraordinary. She formed a band called the Seatbelts, which you just mentioned, who played everything. They played the entire thing. Now, ever since this, they've released like seven albums as the Seatbelts. But there was an interesting relationship here because, according to Kano, the music was one of the first aspects to begin production before most of the character's story or even animation had been formalized. It's crazy, but he also, they had a quite a fraught relationship, him and Kano. She didn't actually compose exactly how he asked her to. He is quoted as saying, she gets inspired on her own, follows up on her own imagery and comes to me saying, this is the song we need for Bebop and composes something completely on her own. And he explained that he would take inspiration from Kano's music after listening to it. And he'd actually go and create scenes after listening to a piece of music that she'd give to him. And these new scenes would in turn inspire Kano and she'd go and create more music and then the cycle would continue. And he had quite a problem there because usually that's not how it works. You know, the director is kind of king in this field and very differently to Hideaki Anno in Neon Genesis. This is very much a team exercise. Now, Wansanabe is obviously the spearhead and he's the vision. But this show does not exist without Kano. No way. 
Not at all. And also we have to talk about one of the things that I think grabs people so early on in the show is the opening sequence. It's the best ever. It's probably, like, I think we can go Sam Devonport teenager. <laughs> it is the greatest <laughs> opening of all time. Yeah. And just from the get-go, the visual, that song, everything, it just sums up Cowboy Bebop perfectly. And it has since been ripped off many times looking at you, Archer. Oh, uh, yes. But, yeah, it's one of those things where it's become iconic in that way and that is as soon as you see that sequence, you know what you're in for, you can see everything that the show is going to be about pretty much. And it's very cool. It's cool. It's very cool. And I think the the trend that either the music started or was reflected in the development of the story that's now reflected into the in the uh, music, and it sounds to me, Sam, like it might be a chicken or an egg kind of yeah. scenario, is the genre mashup. Yes. So this is uh, stylistically, you know, the opening tank is old school brass jazz. It really gets you going, but it's got blues. It's got kind of folk rock in there. It's opera um, as well. Cano really went the full palette of influences and in, in, in pulling it together and how those influences on genre, different genres work together is one of the great strengths of bebop. It sets it apart. It's It really is. And that whole period of time, you know, you've got... The Foley artistry as well, you know, not just in, in this and the music, but in, in Serial Experiments Lane, which is released in the same year, Neon Genesis, just the music and the actual sound design in that mid to late 90s of Japanese anime was just unbelievable. So fucking cool. And all three of those shows are anime originals too, you know, which is quite an interesting thing. None, none of them were mangas first, which I think is why they're so cinematic, mm. you know, it's which is what's so cool about it because... Yeah, I and I... I think particularly with the way that Cowboy Bebop is like, because it's a, you know, there's not like a, they're very episodic. There's not yes. an overarching, there is an overarching kind of storyline, but it's not that important. You could watch a standalone episode and be like, okay, cool. Like this yeah. is a, like a snapshot of their life or like it could happen. There's not kind of any chronological order that really is that important in it, which kind of, I guess when you're dealing with a manga source material, it's often kind of be read, have that episodic sort of thing. Yeah, much more serialized. This show yeah. is... I suppose you could you could criticize it perhaps not having a, a through A story. It does with Spike and and Vicious, I suppose, but only five episodes of the entire show, a fifth, actually deal with that plot line. But that's what's kind of cool about this show. And what's what is cool about the show as well is that it's very adult. And I don't mean that in a like sexual pornographic sense. I mean it's very much a seinen. All of these characters, so you've got Spike Spiegel, you've got Jet, you've got Faye, Ed's younger, but these guys have all lived full lives before we come to the show. It's not a shonen where the characters learn something after every episode and there's like lessons to be taught and learned. Now, they've learned them already and they're kind of just doing whatever the fuck because they're bored and they're all characters running from their past. They're a motley, disparate group of sort of lost souls brought together through nothing other than this is all they've got. Totally. I think, you know, one of the things that's often said about Bebop, it sounds obvious, but, you know, stories often don't do it, is that these are characters that are rooted in core emotional drives and what's consistent through Bebop, not just in terms of the four crew members, of, and we should touch on those. We've got Spike, who mm. is this impossibly cool Bruce Lee meets John Wayne meets a 30s <laughs> hard-boiled detective who's kind of the protagonist of the show. We've got Jet, the ex-cop, with the with the robotic arm, we've got Faye, the femme fatale amnesiac running from her past and Ed, who's kind of the wild card, gender non-binary hacker of the group. And mm. each of these characters is running in some way from their past and not just them, 
as the characters enter into all of these different strangers' lives in the course of their adventures, one of the perpetual through lines is that each of these characters are also running from and having to deal with things of their past. Yes. And what the show does ultimately in using this very episodic structure and what Nabe has said that he approached each episode like its own mini movie. Mm. And because each of them is dealing with something so different and as you say there are only five episodes that are dedicated to Spike's through line is that the whole show becomes a meditation on people you've got our main characters who are watching other people mm. deal with their past meanwhile they're running away from their own past and it's about the emotional distance between those two states and is a is a really sophisticated just meditation on having to live your life and having to carry the weight of of our past that never really go away. Yeah. Yeah. No, I um I think that that is a very good point. Thanks, Gerald. <laughs> very articulate. I was about to say, obviously, it's got because you have a crew. We had talked about this a bit last episode about One Piece. I'm sorry. Yes. Just like yeah, yeah, the no. idea of kind of like a ramshackle crew together and this sort of like everyone brings their own thing to the table. And I think that having them all be, except for Jet and Spike at the start, strangers that they kind of encounter and they collect them along the way. Also, I think that we could talk about in terms of style and influence, the Western kind of aspect meets the sci-fi aspect of it. Like obviously the main comparison you could draw for a show is Firefly by Joss Whedon. Big time. And uh, you, you can kind of be like, well, that was pretty much a direct sort of like, and The Mandalorian actually. At the oh, moment big time. Well. Big time. Sure. But I think that in terms of how these characters interact and how they find them, it's like this kind of bad guys versus badder guys. Mm. The fact that they're not rich, the fact they're kind of like always scrounging and like it makes it just kind of that they're just very cool and kind of relatable even though they're in a ridiculous situation. You're sort of like, I get that, you know, kind of. Yeah, it's and just little simple things that Watanabe does with the characters, like with with Jet tending to his bonsai tree and cooking and the kung fu that Spike practices or shopping that Faye does, you know, and he, he brings these little motifs that the characters do all the time throughout every episode. And it's such a lovely little thing to add in there. It's quite rare for anime as well, you know, just to have these little like tiny little snapshots of what these people do in their spare personal time. Totally. You know, and it's such a cool little aspect. And it serves such a clear thematic overview because often the episodes will open and close with these domestic things, whether Mm. they're eating together as a proxy family or Jet's trimming his bonsai trees, as you say, and then they get pulled into this adventure. They get pulled into someone else's problems. Emotions come at them that they have to put distance between. Mm -hmm. And then at the end... They're back doing their domestic things, yeah. trying to lose themselves again in in this one foot in front of the other occupation as they fly through space looking for who knows what, you know? Yeah. It's also a good kind of snapshot of the world. Would you say this is a hard world build? I don't because no, it's no, interesting. It's soft, it's soft yeah, but I do think that like, like the consistency obviously at the bounty show, the bounty yeah. hunter show often opens and ends the episode with the, you know, they're like, yeah, like they got the... It's such a clever device and it's been used so many times since. So for those of you who haven't seen the show, basically there's a little show which is actually two cowboys, a, a black male and a blonde female, white female, and they basically pop up and go, like, howdy partners, here's this week's bounty that you're after, 20 million for this particular person and it sets the whole thing up and they kind of 
it's like a show that they watch and it's like a news bulletin, but in this really stylized kind of cowboy-esque like infomercial. And there's actually a show called Akudama Drive, which I've, I've put it up on our socials a couple of times. Oh, totally. They're they absolutely the using that. They yes. do. It's yeah. every, every now and then you get uh, in the middle of an episode, it's a shark and a bunny pop up, little stick puppets, and they're doing the same thing. They're giving you big information dumps about the law of the world. And again, like an infomercial, just straight to the camera, like as if you're as if it's playing on a big screen in the middle of Tokyo or whatever. And if this you see this all the time in anime, and it all started here. I mean, maybe he took it. The biggest influence for Watanabe on this show is a show called Lupin the yeah. Third, which was a 1965 detective story, basically very inspired by a French detective, I believe, of a similar name. And that is kind of, and he had a motley crew of people who helped him solve cases. That was That's what Lupin the Third is. There's been many different iterations of it since the 60s. And that is including the current mega hit, French show on Netflix right now, also inspired from the same story, obviously. But that's the big inspiration here. And you can see it all the time. They, you know, and what you do think about this show is, as we said, the non-serialized notion of it is you kind of expect all of these old characters to pop back up again. And they don't. They almost never do. <laughs> once, they, once they've come into their lives, they just disappear again, never to see or hear from them again. And I think that's what's so cool about this. It's like it's not an sentimental show it's like there are there are sentimental elements of like the, the big a stories of all the characters past the major antagonist is spike's old rival from the gang he was in before the show starts called vicious which is not a great name but is a cool cool character kind of looks like sephiroth from final fantasy 7 has a big giant bird on his shoulder it's very very cool i guess charlotte you use this word all the time but this show actually is cool you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> and we I sound use, really i use uncool. that word too often for an anime podcast <laughs> I, I, I really do yeah aesthetics it's it's primo and also they know like spike is as i think he's like the epitome of cool in terms of aesthetics yes the show is incredibly incredibly cool and yeah. that is it moving on but i do think that in terms of aesthetics and how the characters are designed and everything it's they are still from the same universe. They're all obviously because we're, we're dealing with a universe here because it's space. So there's like the amount of kind of like everyone's from somewhere completely different. So every kind of aesthetic, they kind of like all from the same world, but kind of not really at all, which yes. is good. Yeah. I've, I've seen the world described as a Chinese diaspora, two parts Western and like a sprinkling of kind of Arabic and Middle Eastern mm. influence. I think the coolest thing about their imagining of the future, you know, versus something like Blade Runner is just how worn down that like our own world it looks. Yes. You know, you've got the the sci-fi flourishes, but really it's a very accessible place. Yeah, they're still driving cars, still shooting like physical guns. It's not lasers and some of the some of the weaponry on the ships are a bit more futuristic. But yeah, cuz also in answering to your question is it a soft or a hard world build? It's definitely a soft world build. It's it's a it's on the harder side of soft, but they don't explain that much to you. You know, we know that Earth has been destroyed by a malfunctioning gate, uh, mm -hmm. which they drive through, which go into hyperspace and whatnot. That's something that they give you, but you don't really get into the details of that. You don't really understand how all the world's inner you know, politics work. You know, there's basically humanity is spread throughout the solar system. There's Ganymede, which is one of the moons of Jupiter, which is one of the major settlements, Mars, and a whole bunch of different sort of places where humanity has settled itself. And it's quite an, an interesting, diverse cast of people too, which is kind of, and Watanabe is quite conscious of that. He always has been. The ending is one of the best endings of any show ever made because it could have gone on and a lot of people wanted it to because it was so successful. And but Watanabe had the, had the ending sorted out from the beginning 
And he nearly changed it, but then he went, no, nope, I'm not doing, I don't want this to turn into Star Trek. You know, I want to, I want to, I want to stop this before I get bored and lose my mind. And so that ending, which is iconic, still pisses off a lot of fans because it's divisive in that respect. It's, I suppose you could say- Treading carefully around Sad. The, yeah. <laughs> I won't uh, spoil it, but it's a wonderful, I mean, it's one of the coolest, God damn it. Every time I say that, I feel like so uncool. But it's one of the coolest endings of any show I've ever seen, I think. And again, I feel like this comes back to me, like why this show has stuck with me so long is that there's so many different things all working together in perfect harmony and in all service to that ending. Yes. In so much as, you know, this is a show about characters having to carry the weight of their past and the emotional distance you have to put between people to, to walk through life and 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 how like it's through these interactions with other people that you gradually come close and close to having to face up to that past and realizing you can you can't actually run away from it and the yes. way in which these all these separate episodes bring you to this moment where at the end of the show you're the one that's being asked to carry the weight yeah. you've been watching characters watch other people and then at the end you're left just watching the characters having to carry that feeling that they've carried. And the show has this great thematic message of like, hey, welcome to life. Yes. We all just got to carry it. Yeah. Mm. It's also very, like, I think you'd argue the genre, although obviously is science fiction scene and everything. I think it is slice of life too. Because it's slice of life yeah. for these characters. And it is that domestic, like it always does bring it back to that other than some things. But I do want to talk about Faye Valentine. Yes. Not because I'm just the girl talking about the girl. <laughs> Let's not fall into that trap. But I do think she's interesting because I think all of the characters, although they're like presented, you know, she's drawn like very typical femme fatale. She wears an outfit that would not look good on any real life person. <laughs> Trust me, I've tried to cosplay her. It's a bad time. <laughs> it's like thigh high, like, like, you know, beige socks. I'm like, babe, no, but you look great because you're drawn. She's kind of looks sexy, but I think it's the same with Spike though. Like he looks cool, but he's actually total dingus. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, yes. sloppy. Like, and she's the same. She's just like most of the time, you know, lounging around like eating all of everyone's food and pissing everyone <laughs> off and like her backstory again gives her even more death i think she actually is kind of a subversion of that femme fatale character because we kind of got to know her a bit better because she ended up being a part of the crew part of yeah. the family when so. that like sexy f facade comes away it's just someone stealing your food and like being annoying kind of thing <laughs> yeah and she's like quite obnoxious and they yeah. all just don't care that yeah. she's the hot like yeah she's she's great She's a very funny character. Spike is the same too. Jet, you know, he's like, like you know, that classic like Father tough figure. guy, but he's also goes bonsai. That's kind of funny. He's like, yeah, and Ed's the oddball. Yeah, it's good. I think that they do, because we get those domestic sides of these characters, it becomes less one-dimensional than like the wacky sidekick or like the hot yes. girl. So it's kind of grounds it all the time. Absolutely. That's totally true. Yeah, it very much subverts because, yeah, you think you get an idea of who the characters are, but they constantly surprise you, you know, and it's what I like about it as well is, like I say, it doesn't, doesn't ever err on the side of sentimentality. You know, it never does that. It doesn't try and manipulate your emotions like a lot of shows do. It just lets you have them by kind of presenting things as they are and not letting, not trying to inform your opinion on it too heavily, which I think is really cool. You know, that's when I find the best work is when it's, they present you something and then you have to interpret it. And I think they do that really, really well. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, every character has just got their own shit going on and they don't even really talk about it to each other. Like, you know, the first time that Spike goes to see Vicious, Jet is trying to be like, hey, what's going on? Can I help? And just like, no, no, you cannot. I know we're, we're together now and this is our family, 
But there are other things that we, you know, the major thing that we're all running from, which you can't help me with, and I don't want you to help me with because that's not what it's about. You know, it's not in a Hollywood version, it'd be, hey man, let's do this together. Now that we're friends, you know, like let's we'll take them down together. It's like, no, none of that fucking shit. It doesn't happen here. Totally. Yeah. They're always saying, if you leave now, don't expect me to come and grab you. Yeah. Don't expect anything from me. Yeah. Only invariably the, you know, <laughs> them to be pulled back into each other's lives. Yes. And I think, you know, one of the write-ups I've seen about it kind of suggests that, you know, Spike is this more classically existential character of just life has no meaning, you got to make it yourself. He's staring out into the void space, smoking a cigarette, generating ennui, phase more of that nihilist. Nothing nothing matters, so, so you should gamble and, and run away from your problems and whatever. And Jet's this absurdist that is always the first to laugh when life, you know, deals you snake eyes. And they keep trying on all these philosophical approaches to try and find the meaning that they're all chasing only to end up, as you say, Charlie, back just trimming bonsai trees or having a meal together. And it captures that that really, really well. Going to like some of the, the other stylistic things that I think would be really attractive to anyone that is thinking about trying an anime is that I think there's certain things that you can get away with in animation that maybe you can't in live action. And one of those is genre mashups. Yes. And one of the most famous things about Cowboy Bebop is like, yes, it's a sci-fi. Yes, it's also a Western. And by the way, there's also these neo-noir stuff going through. But why stop there? Because it's also a Hong Kong action thing. Mm-hmm. There's exploitation episode. There's a cosmic horror, you know, Alien in the Attic episode. There's, you know, the list goes on and on. So to me, like the great victory of this show is that how can it be all these things and still feel like one show and feel like all of these things can exist in one story and he pulls it off. I don't know. What's your favorite episode, Charlie, of all of the, the genre bending stuff that this show does? I'm a basic person. So I love that the one where they find Ian, the dog. I love that episode, which is actually a chase. <laughs> it's a chase. It's like a, it's honestly like a yeah. car chase, but with a dog. Heist, yeah. It's a heist. It's an urban yeah. thriller. Yeah. I love it. And it's like quite early. On. I think it's honestly the second. Is it the first or second episode? Straight second. Strat, second. Episode two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Straight Session two. And I think it to me is just kind of, oh, actually, I can't remember the exact. I do love Faye's backstory though. Also very good. That's very, beautiful. very cool. That's it for is. different reasons though. But I think when I first kind of was watching it, I think that, that the dog the Stray Dog Strap one, I think I was just like, this is great. It's such a simple idea and it is so obviously a genre, you know, like it was. God, Firefly really ripped it off, didn't it? The second episode <laughs> of The Train Heist. Yeah. Like the more we're talking about it, I'm like, it's literally the same yeah. show. Just yeah. Whedon got away with one now. Yeah, yeah Whedon owes Watanabe like a ton of money, hey? Like, <laughs> honestly, there's no jazz music that who's like, it's fine. There's no, it's just like yeah, no, an old fine. man singing, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but then the other thing, so just to jump back on the music with the jazz also, it's, it informs how the characters move. You know, and I think one of the coolest things, like when you see Spike doing his kung fu, and like he's got, he's quite a languid mover, and like they're all, they all got their own very, very specific styles of movement, which is always inspired by bebop. Because bebop, as a genre, typically is there's a melody that the whole band follow, and then every member gets a solo and gets gets to step forward and do their own thing. That's typically how bebop songs work, and that's exactly what this show is. Every as a disparate group of people, like a band thrown together, playing a loose melody and then having their own moment to shine and to do their solo, so to speak. And that's how the show is just set up. And each of them have their own style. Like Spike's a very lazy kind of languid, fluid, hunched over figure. But then when he does Kung Fu, it's this beautiful kind of where he, he moves a little bit like Muhammad Ali, even with his kind of like floating like a butterfly with his feet movement. Jet is this big kind of blocky figure 
who kind of moves in this unfluid way to complete opposite. Faye. Loves a headlock. Loves a headlock. Loves a big, big burly kind of, you know, he's the drummer, obviously. Faye's got this really like kind of, she's a bit of a gimp when she, you know what I mean? Like she doesn't, well, she doesn't move like a, a femme fatale character, typically very regal and very glamorous, you know? But she kind of moves a bit awkwardly and is like a bit lanky and like kind of doesn't, doesn't fit the mold. And like Ed, Ed's movements are the weirdest and most idiosyncratic of them all. Her movements are actually based off the composers as a little side side point. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Off canos. But all of them have this very distinct modes of movement. And I think it's just such a cool way to make something. Like it's like a, they're all like a bebop band. You know what I mean? I feel and like it phased the brass section. She's like just full comes in just you know guns blazing like she's oh my god doesn't give a fuck Gerald what's your favorite episode oh it's such a question um I'm a big fan of there is an episode where I can't remember what planet they're on but uh Spike meets a young kid who has stolen something from the local mafia to try and save his sister and Spike doesn't want to get involved but invariably ends up being involved and it's this kind of the whole episode's is sweet meditation on reluctantly getting involved in other people's problems. Yes, which is the story of Spike Spiegel. <laughs> Very much. <laughs> Entirely. And, and, and the distance that he's trying to keep up between him and the world as he slowly deals with his own past and the woman that got left behind and what's left for me now. At the end of the episode, it really hits that sweet spot of you've just, you've just like benched this really epic emotional thing, but now you're on a spaceship flying away. And what's what's left to what's left to do? I, I was thinking about this show recently when I had chance to meet a fellow who works for Google and YouTube, and he has a very interesting job. His job is to look at all of the YouTube data from Australia and to try and look at what the cultural shifts and cultural lines are. So he could tell you, for example, during COVID, what has spiked, you know, like meditation music has gone up during COVID. Interesting stuff. And so we were talking mm. and he's he told me about this thing that Google has called CultureCast, long story short, tracking the cultural trends of the world. The biggest com- company that's ever existed, trying to be macro about what it is to be a person in 2020. And the big question thematically for the human race that Google has identified is what do we owe each other? In 2021, what do we owe each other? And to me, that is the theme of Bebop and I think why it has such lasting legacy because it asks that question. And ultimately, I think the answer of it is you do your best you can, you hang on to what you can bear, you let go of what you can't, and in the end, you have to face your destiny, you know? And it it just, I think that's one of the key reasons it's endured. Absolutely, yeah, hundred percent agree. And the fact I think, as you mentioned before, these are except for Ed, uh, they they're adults who've lived life. So I think when you're watching it now, then you get older, you're kind of just like, wow, we're all lost like that. And how are we <laughs> trying to? I think that having you know a lot of anime deals with like a ten year old prodigy kid that I can't really relate to. Yes. So um, it's like unlock some soul reaper power, and you're like, okay, cool, but yeah, same babe. But yeah, so <laughs> I think that yeah. Gerald's right. I just ask those questions that are so relevant, and are unfortunately always going to be relevant because. What is life? You know? What is life? And there's a great scene in one of the episodes, this in Ruining, where Spike is in his spaceship, he's re-entering the atmosphere, he's facing certain death, and he's got Jed on the line. He says, Jed, I got some whiskey behind the fridge. Go help yourself. Jed's like, what are you talking about? Oh, I've run out of fuel. It's all gone bad. 
and he like lights a cigarette and goes, whatever happens, happens, you know? And to me, that's the, the tone of the show. It's just trying to lean into that. What are you going to do? You know, yeah. life. Well, what are you going to do? That episode is, man. is great. And yeah. there's also one like it in Firefly, exactly the same. There's a, what? Okay. Yeah. I'm going to do like a detective series. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to like, let's, let's do yeah. this. I'm going to sue Joss Whedon on Watanabe's behalf. <laughs> we did it, guys. We cracked the code. So I want to give you guys a quote from a, an Atlantic article by a guy called Alex Suskind. The article is called Asteroid Blues, The Lasting Legacy of Cowboy Bebop. And he says, on paper, Cowboy Bebop, the legendary cult anime series by Shintaro Watanabe, reads like something John Wayne, Elmore Leonard, and Philip K. Dick came up with during a wild all-night whiskey bender. And that's pretty much bang on the money. Yeah, <laughs> that's, absolutely. That's exactly what Cowboy Bebop fucking is. So anyone who wants to watch it, that's what you're getting into. It's cool. It's stylish. It's interesting. It's different. And it holds the fuck up so, so, so well. It's about adults doing adult things. It's an existential piece. It's a piece about your chosen family, how you can never truly outrun your past. And it's just something that everyone should watch, really. Totally. To go full circle back to, to Kano, when writing about her approach to the music, she said, I'm attracted to something that barely exists at the balance between things. And to me, that just sums up the yes. show. It's yes. just yeah. the moments between things. Yes. Yes. 100%. You know, that's a big thing about music is, yeah, the space. Big thing when you're making music is, is how much space there is between the notes. And that's exactly what life is all about. You have these big moments, but really life is what's in between. You know, what's John Lennon quote? Life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. It's pretty much mm. sums it up right there, you know. Interesting you mentioned, just quickly before, because there is a live-action television series coming. Glad you mentioned. Glad you mentioned it. Uh, And Gerald also mentioned, which I agree, that there's something about anime and animation, particularly, I think, that you can just get away with certain things like genre mashup. I think a lot of actions, I don't think there's been a successful anime live-action. I don't think there has been. (sighs) Closest was Alita. Burns me up inside. Alita, Battle Angel, I actually think because she's animated to look like an anime character. Mm. She looks great when she's doing her fight scenes. When people come in and they're just normal humans, they look, it just looks kind of funny. And like Death Note's a great example of oh, how not to do it. Oh. But I think that when you're in that heightened kind of reality, you can make anything look cool. You can have this. But when you, as soon as you have like a live action, you're kind of like going, oh, yeah, it's just like. Here's it's- the question. How does the live action version of Cowboy Bebop look any different to a Firefly? You know, mm. how does it not end up just being the thing that people were inspired to do because of it? It's mm. look, I'm very nervous about this. It's only just started production up again at the time of recording this podcast of only a month or so ago because John Cho, the lead actor who's playing Spike, did his knee. Did his ACL. Uh, yeah, did his ACL last year. So they had to On stop set, all production. Right? Yeah, 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 doing a stunt. So he had to they had to shut all production down. And now I'm a little bit worried about this because, as Charlotte just just said, most anime adaptations, especially in the West, even when Japan do them. They kind of suck. It's, 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 a, it's a thing that no one's been able to crack yet. And it's very, very frustrating. But you read a lot. I'm sure you guys all read this as well. That like, oh, but Watanabe is involved. Watanabe is involved. He's a creative consultant and blah, blah, blah. And I, I was like, oh, okay. He's involved. That's cool. I read a fucking interview yesterday about this when he was at a Comic-Con last year in London. And this is how involved he is. They're like, oh, so how's the new show going? He's like, I have no idea. I, I think the actor did his knee or something and they've stopped production. I don't really know. No one really tells me anything. So that's how fucking involved he is. Totally None. PR. He is just it's PR and he's just picking up some checks. So I'm very worried. Shooting in New Zealand. I hope they're, they're going to be hour-long episodes, which 
you know, or more than double what the Cowboy Bebop episodes themselves are. So it's going to be different. It's going to be very different. So the pacing is going to be all wrong. But I, look, fuck me. I hope they prove us wrong. Please tell me Yoko Kano is doing the score. That's a good question. That is a good question. If, if she's not, I'm just going to boycott, boycott this immediately. Because I feel like she's not, and I feel like it's a famous band doing it. Well, if it, if it draws more people to the original after after watching it, then we'll call that we'll call that a good thing. But no, that's the thing. We, we need to start. We, we were saying this recently. We need to stop being like hilarious gatekeepers of when we're trying to like oh, no. literally be the opposite. Be Charlie, like, I'm a I'm being magnanimous now, but, <laughs> but wait, wait until all my pseudonyms hit the internet. Uh, when, uh, <laughs> yeah. when my my true fury can be expressed. And, uh, Reddit user slash Oh man. Anyway, thanks very much for listening everybody. And I hope you've been inspired to either watch Cowboy Bebop for the first time or if you have watched it I hope you learn something and I hope you go back and rewatch it because there is so much in there. It's so rewatchable. And this I think- is the one. This is the gateway anime. Yeah. And it's a, a weird that we got to like episode 20 of our podcast. And <laughs> Before we, hadn't, we dropped it. We hadn't done it. I just think we were waiting for the right guest to come along. We were. Had to oh, be I'm Jerry. so glad you waited. Mm-hmm. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for coming back again, mate. And thank you everyone for listening and we'll catch you next time. Bye. See you, Space Cowboy. All right. Well. <laughs> <laughs>